Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Since the last time I was here, Mr. Walker has been talking about issues that are of great importance to the people of Georgia. Like whether it's better to be a vampire or a werewolf. This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself <laughs> when I was seven. Well, there he is, the former president of the United States, doing a tight five minutes in Atlanta on the one and only Herschel Walker. By the way, Mr. President, not a tough call. Vampires by a mile. Just the personal <laughs> grooming aspect alone. It, it, it's uh, it, it's pretty obvious. So here we are, Georgia Election Day. Uh, Hackaroos, get excited. We have that to talk about. And high politics and high jinx at the DNC on the presidential calendar. This is a big deal. We're talking about all of it. And we needed a guest who can handle the whole waterfront, David. So who did we get? And we got a Mo Alethe, the the distinguished director of the Georgetown Institute of Politics, the former spokesperson for the Democratic National Committee, and now a member of the Rules and Bylaws yeah. uh, Committee of the DNC, which has been in the news in the past few weeks, putting the dagger <laughs> in the back of the Iowa caucuses, and I see his fingerprints on the bloody knife. So, Mo, welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. I, if you had told me you know, working on a number of presidential campaigns that Obama versus Clinton primary in 2008, which was historic, but that I would one day say sitting on the rules and bylaws committee was maybe the most fun I've ever had in politics. I would have thought <laughs> you are nuts, but this has been a really fascinating interesting process. Well, you know, as we sit here, the New Hampshire State Patrol is getting your picture and that of your colleagues because there's going to be a war. We're going to talk about all that, but yeah. I think we start with Georgia, right, David? Today's the day, the big runoff. It, it is, and it may be that by the time people listen to this, they'll have a verdict because it looks, I don't know, guys, it feels like there'll be, I don't think there's be a lot of mystery to this one. It feel every single poll and that's a bad way to start a sentence in American politics today. But every single yeah. poll suggests what every single politician you talk to on either side says privately, uh, that uh, Raphael Warnock should be reelected tonight by more than a couple of votes. I now, because there's a certain bird sound I had to endure in a podcast right after the election, being of a crow, hard to make predictions. I Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fox. Yeah. That's it. Have we fired him again? I thought we had a medal. Uh, so, so anyway. He always has that at the ready. The, 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 I, I'm so Jurassic. I was around. I did work on the Coverdale runoff, the last one of these things. And the old model is turnout drops. And that's good for the R's because uh, younger voters fall off. I mean, if you look at that Fabrizio Anzalone poll, which is about the most legit one on the Warnock race, you know, Senator Warnock needs those young voters to show up in a runoff. But all the dynamics of the early voting, blah, 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 are, are looking that way. So I'm no longer going to make big bets on this stuff in our crazy current era. But I think he certainly has the edge. And, you know, it may it may be pretty clear by tonight. Speaking of that, I want to collect on my bet on the Los Angeles mayor's race, but we'll save that for <laughs> we'll save that for later. But you know, uh, Mo, I'm going to pay you in Scientology dollars, so it's all congruent. <laughs> but yes, yes, go ahead. 
I was wondering why you lived out there. Anyway, uh, Mo, it feels like, and we've got a couple of ads that we should play. The Republican argument is all about Warnock voting with Biden. The Democratic argument is all about Walker uh, assaulting his wife and sorted other people, lying about his resume. It's all about his character and preparedness. And it feels like that's a more potent, uh, potent attack for the people, the very the few people who aren't uh, bound by tribal loyalties to their party who are going to vote today. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that last point is is key, right? How many of those people are left that aren't that haven't just crazy glued the tribal jersey on um, and are actually looking at this thing um, with a fresh set of eyes? Uh, but I think you're right. Um, the there was an ad you said you might play some ads. There was an ad that the Warnock campaign played here at the very very end, uh, which I, just, I I couldn't help but chuckle watching it, where it was just a bunch of Georgians uh, watching a yes. video of Walker, and just letting the ad just let their facial expressions uh, speak uh, uh, volumes. Just it. The 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 Warnock message here at the end is: Can we seriously put this guy in the Senate? Like, is this real? Is it like is this guy going to embarrass us or uh, or what? And I think you're right. I think people who voted for Kemp for governor, we already saw this dynamic in the first round where there were a lot of Kemp voters who could not bring themselves to vote for Walker. Two hundred thousand of them. Yeah. I don't think that dynamics changed it. And they lost their best hammer, which was hold your nose for Walker, you get a Republican Senate. That right. that is uh, now gone. No, and in the parlance of uh Walker's old profession, this game doesn't matter. It's it's not for the playoffs anymore. Right, right. And We're therefore, you know, holding your nose and voting for Walker is 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 a harder right. thing to do. My concern has been the reverse, though. My concern was whether or not Democrats might stay home. Yeah, because it's not for the Senate. It's not for control of the Senate anymore. But every indication heading into today shows that the concern uh, is bigger on the Republican side. I know the ad you're talking about, which was a great ad at the end of uh, the campaign for uh, Warnock. The the uh, the people listening to Walker speak, but it's hard to convey on a podcast. Right. Why don't we start with Kemp trying to drag Herschel across? Because we kind of heard the Obama attack. Point let's do now. it. And then, and then let's talk about that ad on the other side. What in the next two years do you intend to do differently? Nothing. I'm not going to change anything in any fundamental way. Families are struggling because of Biden's inflation and Washington won't change unless we make them. Georgia's doing better than the rest of the country because we stood up for hardworking families. Herschel Walker will vote for Georgia, not be another rubber stamp for Joe Biden. That's why I'm backing Herschel, and I hope you'll join me in voting for him, too. Senate Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. Yeah, so a lot of, uh, there's a lot uh, about that that's noteworthy. One is no attestation to Walker's character, experience, preparedness, nothing like that. Right, right. It can't be about Walker. You know, right. by the way, hearing that ad, I'm, I'm rethinking it. Maybe we do need Herschel <laughs> Walker. In the, and by the way, that's from McConnell World there, that spot. Uh -huh. Yeah, the other element of it is that it's, it's Kemp 
and not the man who created Herschel Walker as a candidate, right. Donald Banned Trump, from the state. who has not uh, set foot in the state, nor is Biden, by the way. But uh, interesting, Mo, I, I, I heard that uh, the Walker campaign actually had armed sentries at the border in case Trump tried to sneak across to hold a rally during this runoff. I think didn't didn't uh, Trump do a tele rally like in the last he did uh, in the final days, um, which did. was sort of what last they, night last right? night. Well, that's hedging. Which, now, if there's an upset, I did it with yeah. a phone call. Or if he doesn't win, well, they wouldn't let me in. Exactly. And that's because of the Virginia governor's race where Glenn Youngkin wouldn't let him in. Exactly. The uh, but he did a tele rally at the end, and Trump took credit for that. Yeah, I guess the question is. How powerful is the, I mean, Biden's unpopular in the state right now. How powerful is that compared to the sort of cascade of questions about Walker and his character and truthfulness and uh, whether, in fact, he's a resident of the state of Georgia? I know he's a Georgia football hero, but he was claiming a homestead exemption in Texas where he apparently actually lived. How, how much does that... <laughs> Sliding in the late hit here. <laughs> but how much has... Well, nobody will hear this before. I know, it's after so. you can put the knife down. But go yeah. ahead, that's a good point. How much has Walker, uh, Mo gotten in the way of what would be a pretty good playbook on Biden in that state? It seems to me he's he's derailed the train. We have an entire midterm cycle worth of data on this exact question. Yeah, right. Where in state after state after state... They tried to connect the Democratic candidate, the Democratic incumbent to Joe Biden. And while Joe Biden's numbers were were lower than uh, a lot of Democrats hoped they were, candidates, uh, voters at the end of the day, even when they want to replace someone, they got to feel good about who they're replacing them with. Or at least not bad. Yeah, or at least be not acceptable. Bad. Yeah. yeah. Right. I just can't feel I just got to believe that it's not going to be worse. And in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Arizona, in state after state, people that wanted to throw Joe Biden out didn't feel like they had a legitimate alternative. And I, I kind of feel like that's where we're headed in Georgia. On that same point, let's listen to one of the Warnock ads, because it sort of sums up the, the whole negative campaign against Walker. And I thought it was pretty effective. You can't see the faces. The faces are are. are uh, you know, very recognizable in terms of just the kind of people you'd find in Georgia. But go ahead. Let's hear it. As a mom who teaches my kids to tell the truth, I can't vote for Herschel Walker. As a survivor of domestic violence, I can't vote for Herschel Walker. As a veteran, I can't vote for Herschel Walker. As a senior. As a teacher. As a Christian. As a real police officer. As a Georgian. As a woman. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't vote for Herschel Walker, period. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. Oh, another campaign of uplifting hope. Um, <laughs> but it also, he had a companion piece with prominent Republicans, including the lieutenant right. governor and the agriculture commissioner, saying the same thing. Basically giving a permission structure to people right, right. who would be inclined to vote Republican not to do it. I would say even without ads, the outcome's the same because nobody's done more to define Herschel Walker than Herschel Walker. And he got in the way. You know, these things are normally the challenger has to be an acceptable, if not beloved, alternative. And he's, his race has become about Walker. The great Republican reason to hold your nose, control the Senate, is gone. So 
you know, the, unless unless there's no young turnout, because boy, in that data, that's what's holding up Warnock. And he's spending a lot of time on campuses the last right, right, trying it. And they rolled weeks, Obama yeah. in to do his right. act. So you know, uh, it, it, by all the normal rules and the data we have, though again, caveat, it looks like uh, Warnock's coming back. But it also cements Georgia as a swing state now, because uh, I think you know Walker, even as the lowest possible quality candidate, although famous, uh, still made a bit of a race out of it. Yeah. Let me, uh, uh, well, there's no doubt that it's a competitive state. I mean, it's not a, it's, it's, a, it's, I mean, purple at best, but still uh, very, 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 very competitive as we see. But let me ask you guys something. Trump, uh, he didn't cross the border, but he certainly made news in the last couple of weeks since he launched his candidacy. He Dined with a white supremacist neo-Nazi, uh, and then I hear the schnitzel was excellent. By the way, my, my <laughs> they, sources at Mar-a-Lago <laughs> goose-stepped over the the phone to let me know all about it. And then he, uh, over the weekend, suggested that we terminate the Constitution in order to reinstall him as president or have a another special election because Twitter didn't didn't carry the Hunter Biden story in the last election uh, about his laptop, even with him not being there, how much does Trump being out front, being so attached to Walker, you know, how much does the Terminator hurt him there? And I know there's a different Terminator, but. Yeah, I think a lot. I mean, I, I remember leading up to the midterm to election day, talking to some Republican friends who were saying, look, with all, this was like in the midst of one of the many uh, Herschel Walker crazy stories, one of the abortion stories, I think. Some Republican operatives who were holding out hope that they could win down there saying, look, while, while this is what the national news is talking about, down in Georgia, when you turn on the local news, every, every newscast is covers, it leads with crime or inflation. That's what Jordans are paying attention to. But the reality is, I think with local media sort of on the decline and Donald Trump's unique ability to just change the atmosphere, right? Like he doesn't just suck the oxygen out of the room. He just changes the atmosphere, uh, the political atmosphere that we all breathe. It, you can't escape it. And people are just tired of it. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm worried about Herschel, Walker, if I'm a Republican operative worried about Herschel Walker headed into the final week, and then you layer on the fact that the only thing anybody is hearing about is whites, dinner with white supremacists and tearing up the Constitution by Herschel Walker's number one benefactor. Like, it's done. Yeah, no, I agree. It, 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 it compounds. I mean, Herschel's done an amazing job of making all the Trump baggage even worse. This is one of these kind of one plus one is three situations. But but Trump doing a flyby to say, let's, you know, let's stop talking about Biden because let's let's get into the Fuhrer. Um, is, you know, it's just it's a comedy gift now to the Dems. Absolutely. But it's part of the overall decline of Trump and the GOP. Uh, I don't think Trump is just shrinking before our eyes. And uh, George is part of it. I, I think it's more now about Walker than Trump. But Trump sure sure hurts. When you say let's get into the Fuhrer, how do you spell that? 
I'm uh, trying to. No, I, I'm, I was I trying spell to spell it uh, <laughs> uh, with the umlaut, mein Freunde. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I'm Fuhrer as in Hitler, but I assume we have some clever listeners who might have got that. If not, Google it, kids. Yes, I wanted to clarify that um, for those who are not German speaking who are listening to the podcast. But, Mike, I know you're, you worked at your working day and night to liberate your old party. But we see the same thing again and again, which is everybody getting sweaty and tongue-tied when they're asked to condemn dining with a uh, a neo-Nazi, uh, calling for the termination of the, con- the Constitution, yeah. which, frankly, in the past would have seemed like a bad thing to say in politics. Why is uh, so? What doesn't that reflect how hard it is for these yes. guys to sort of break free? It's hard, but it's different. The half-life is less. It, it took them a few days of Don Knotts quivering, but they started to break through and condemn it. It happened slow. Two years ago, it would have barely happened at all. Um, so it, it's not the, – the the Republican leadership class is not the editorial board of New York Times. And even in an egregious one like this, they're too slow and too timid. And McCarthy in particular has been shameful on this thing. Yeah, but we'll a few broke him. through, and when one did it and lived to see the next day, then more, then more, then more. So not good, but progress. And again, I think another indicator, that the directional indicator. I think part of the reason you, you're seeing any progress at all is, you know, and I think it's hard to argue with this. The one thing that was going to shake the party um, free from his grip would be repeated losses. Right. Failure. And I think, right. I mean, and now we've seen three straight elections where Donald Trump. Tonight may be the coup de grace. There. Maybe. Yep. It, right. And yep. and what this last election showed to a lot of, I think, particularly Senate governors, is that if you if you want to win statewide in a state that is any shade of purple, um, you can't just rely on the base. It felt like for a while our collective politic, our body politic was moving in that direction in the belief mm-hmm. that base politics was all that mattered. And we saw this time that actually independents, actual, that there still are some sure. voters out there. Right, and decisive voters. And, and yeah. decisive voters yeah. and that, Playing the base politics doesn't matter. And that's when you started to see more and more folks stand up and say, we're tired of losing. We're tired yeah. of the clown the, the clown show. We're tired of the circus. And um, maybe uh, to, if, if Georgia goes the way we all think it does, it might shake the party a little bit more free. Now, you're right. In all these battles, in, in these battleground states, the swing of independent voters was really, really sharp, like, uh-huh. uh, you know, 55 percent in Arizona, yep. you know, Pennsylvania. Just 60, 40 or better the wrong way during a midterm that by all normal indicators, the independents would have broke two to one against the president's party. I can tell you the thing that I'm still in the Republican world enough, you know, quietly talking to plenty of people. Though you are in your basement, I noticed. No, no, I do. I do it from a bunker, of course, here in the Communist Republic of Los Angeles. But the thing that people underestimate is back when Trump got elected and the big shocker, you know, Trump won. The fuel that propelled much Republican leadership acceptance of Trump is the guy's a winner. This is to Mo's point. 
Now, he's not only a loser, he's not what they call good Trump. He's not talking about inflation or Joe Biden. He's babbling on about, you know, tearing up the Constitution and making him emperor for life. He's gone nuts. So the winning good Trump that they might have imagined the whole time, because I'd argue Trump's always been a disaster, one fluke win, is gone. And the whole rationale crumbles. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. All right, hackaroos. Now, I got to tell you, we made a little history here on this show. The Helix Sleep System is the first mattress in the history of commerce to get a restraining order against a <laughs> suitor who was so in love with this thing that, well, Hex, you should explain your obsession. I am obsessed. You know I'm obsessed. And I'm, I will not rest, even though I will get good sleep, until you, Murphy, are on the program here because I love you so much. I want you to have the same experience I had. Helix mattresses are the best. Helix mattresses are incredible because they custom make these things, Mike, to you. I mean, you take a little test and a mattress arrives at your door kind of rolled up in a plastic wrapping. You unfurl it and it just unfolds and you think, well, how, how's this going to work? And then you lie down and you think, this is the best mattress I've ever had. You know, so let me get this straight. You go online, yes. you take a very short test about your sleeping pattern, hot, cold, firm, and then they have a lineup of at least 14 unique mattresses. And I guess right. they use their experience and high-tech power to take your test results, match you up. They send you this thing in a box so you don't need a forklift to get it in your house. You uncork it, and then, like the original Blob movie with Steve McQueen, the thing just takes over the room, and you're so happy you lay down and you wake up a day later. I have to say it's pretty impressive. And you know me, I'm a doubting Thomas. I'm a conservative. I'm suspicious of change and modernity. But there's a 100-day, 100-day risk-free trial. You try out your mattress. You see how your body adjusts. And if you decide it's not the very best fit, guess what? You are welcome to return the mattress for a full refund. Yeah. And you know, Murphy, if you tried it out, maybe you wouldn't be a grouchy conservative. Maybe... <laughs> You maybe it would open up new vistas for you if you were if you got a good night's sleep. But don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. I didn't even know Wired Magazine did that, but it is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors. And mm. you probably could benefit from that. And doctors of sleep medicine. Oh, no. My spine looks like a map of Italy. I have to admit, I'm getting more and more interested. But you know what my hangup is, Axelrod? I believe in American-made products. And most mattresses you buy in a regular store, many of them anyway, are made here in the good old USA. What what about the Helix? That is absolutely the case here. Unlike other mattress companies out there, Helix owns its own manufacturing facility, and each and every Helix mattress is made in the USA, right here in America, by a team of skilled manufacturers and shipped directly from their facility to your door. So do it, folks. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash hacks with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Take Axelrod's word for it. That's why there are over 12,000 five-star reviews on the Helix mattress. And remember, 100 nights risk-free to try it out. The 
the guy narrowly won in 2016 and Republicans have lost in 2018, 2020, now 2022. I mean, the verdict is very clear. The question is how you get rid of him. Because you have to get to a general election in order. And a lot of these, the reason they don't want to answer these questions is they're worried about primaries because he's still a force within your party. They are. But you know how politics works. It's always backward looking perception. You know, Hillary Clinton, the Clintons can't be beat. They're the most powerful, blah, blah, blah. So until it's market tested in primaries, which are coming up, and this is the beginning of a laborious but quite brilliant transition to the DNC. Until until he's really tested, it's all perception is reality. The data is pretty clear. He's declining. Places where they know the other candidate is declining. The Wisconsin data where DeSantis at this early point does much better. So I, I know that the theory is Trump will rile up the grassroots against the leadership and they're all with him and Trump has an unmovable army. That is a that's a guess, not a fact. And it's got to be tested. Yeah. Well, it has to be tested. But I think that is the thing that people need to see. I yeah, think I agree. With the fact that he's a liability in a general election is indisputably a fact now. I mean, and it has been proven in a spectacular way. Uh, in this Repeatedly. Midterm. You know, a yeah. lot of us kind of caught on to that a lot longer. It took, you know, three's the thing. But anyway, we're we're going to find out. We have a whole year to talk about it. But I want to pivot to real skullduggery here. <laughs> this is what all the Pauls are really looking at here. I don't care is, you know, the Democrats are looking under White House leadership. And, Mo, you're in the middle of it. So maybe you can start by walking us through this as whole, one of the, the rules skull of dugger- it, yeah, as you, a skullduggerer. As a skullduggerer. Yeah, exactly. What's going on here? And then we can get into the politics of winners and losers, because I'm not willing to accept the idea that Biden is totally running for re-election yet. So this could be huge if there is an open seat. But why don't you explain how the party set this up and what's going on? Because it's fascinating and it's being paid a lot of attention by people who know that the terrain of the map is the key to the battle. Yeah, and I'm going to as soon as we get off this, I'm going to reprint my business cards to include Skullduggerer as my, <laughs> yeah. as my title. But look- You need uh, bigger so, cards. Yeah. At the beginning of the of the uh, cycle, the beginning of this year, um, and I'm a new member of the Rules and Bylaws Committee, just appointed uh, at the beginning of 2022. Jesus, you get over there and all hell breaks loose. I know. Yeah, I know. yeah. Hmm. Well, that's just how I like to roll. That's just and, how and, I like and to roll. And f- folks, we're, we're talking DNC, Democratic National Committee, which has to set all these rules for delegate selection and recommend calendar. But go ahead, Mo. You're so, an expert. So we decided as a committee to shake up and open up the process to decide what the calendar ought to look like for the next presidential primary. Now, back up and say, we decided to do it, I think now in part, because uh, we had an assumption that it wasn't really gonna matter this time, right? Because we do have an incumbent president who plans to run for reelection. So better do this now before, uh, as opposed to the backdrop of an open primary. We can come back to that point. Just let me ask you one, one question. How much did the absolute shit show that was the Iowa caucuses in 2020 yeah. add to the sense of urgency about shaking things up? Well, look, and you know this as well and as I And I love do. the Iowa caucuses, Mo, a lot more than you do, so. A lot more than I do. I, look, I actually love, you know, I'm a, I'm a two-time veteran of New Hampshire primaries. I've, you know, spent time on the ground in Iowa. I love the vibe that you get in those states. I love the focus that those two states get. I love the the seriousness with which the voters in those two states and, and you know, just 
the the whole pageantry of it. But it is so a why wholesome, just stab him in the back, man. It is also a myth to say that uh, Iowa picks presidents. They pick President Obama. No, no, they they pick the guy New Hampshire will beat. They haven't right. They haven't had that much success since that in picking a president. But put all that aside. You know as well as I do that there's been talk about changing this up even before 2020. 2020 just gave permission to look at it. And what the Rules and Bylaws Committee was set up a, a process, a framework. And they said, uh, when you look at the early window, right? And what we mean by the early window, there is a date certain by which, uh, at, at which the primary season starts. I think it's early March. No state is allowed to hold a primary before that unless they get a waiver to go early. And that's where Iowa, New Hampshire have historically come in. And since 2008, South Carolina and Nevada. Right. And again, the deal was Iowa is a caucus. Therefore, New Hampshire is the first in the nation primary. Kids, you'll be hearing more about that in a minute. So we said, you know what, let's rethink the whole thing. When we look at that early window, let's use it as an opportunity to, to send a message about what it is we care about. And we said, really four things. One, we wanted the early window to be more diverse than it currently is. Number two, we want it to be more inclusive than it currently is. That's code for no more caucuses in the early window because caucuses are just limiting in the number of people that participate compared to primaries. And at least it can be a problem ideologically because, you know, your your party activist, all of a sudden AOC pops up just like we used to have Buchanan, et cetera. But wait a second, Nevada's a caucus. No, it's not. They changed not it to a the primary. Plan. Yeah, I see. They changed okay. they by statute. They led, they, I see. they okay, changed it to a, to a primary. Number three, at a time when the there's a lot of questions about the electoral process, we wanted to make sure that every state in the early window instilled confidence in the electoral process, looking right at you, Iowa. And number four, and this one was one of the most important for me personally, we wanted to get more battleground states into the early window. Um, I, as a former DNC spokesperson, remember state party chairs calling me in 2014 and early 2015 saying, send us surrogates because there are all these Republican presidential candidates running around here Mm-hmm. And they're crowding us out. A democratic message isn't isn't penetrating. So we wanted to give uh, those voters who live in battleground states an earlier start. So that's the framework. Yeah. Let, let me say one thing about your last point. I always believed that the Democratic Party in 2008 benefited from the fact that there was a 50 state contest between Obama. A hundred percent agree. And Clinton, and and so at the end of the day, Obama had presence and organizations in all fifty states. A hundred percent agree. Right, and and that is because you guys all cried when Old Yeller died. So you do proportional delegates, which <laughs> means it's it, you amass a delegate lead slower because you can come in lower and still get delegates. Over on the Republican Social Darwinist side, everybody's vicious, so you come in second. And it's mostly winner take all. You lose, though there are Republicans now, which is what Trump's betting on. But that's another conversation. Well, yeah, the Republicans like me thinking, what's wrong with proportional? looking at next time. I totally agree with you. But until you can guarantee me that every primary presidential primary process is going to go to all 50 states. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not not arguing with you. I'm just making a sort of random point that I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way we roll over. So that's the framework, right? So that 
those are the four things we said we cared. So over the course of the next year, we started holding hearings We and we opened it up. We said any state that wants to apply to be in the early window, there's no automatic waivers. The current four states, if you want to be anyone else, you got to apply. You got to go through the motions. You got to go through the process. 20 states applied. The other thing we said was that we were going to give ourselves the flexibility of going to five states and that we had to have at least one from each region. No one was going to, at the end of the day, no one was going to supplant Nevada in the West. No one was going to supplant New Hampshire in the East. No one was going to supplant South Carolina in the South. They all made very compelling arguments. But Iowa didn't really check very many of those boxes. So there was an open question about who would be the Midwestern representative. We decided to wait until after the midterms to make this final decision. And then President weighed it. Yeah, with a... 5,000 pound weigh in. I mean, I, I agree it was a wonderful process, but in the end, the White House says, all right, if the process had said don't change anything, I think nothing would have been changed. So, so Biden, you should pitch what you guys adopted, which was aligned with what Biden wanted. Cause that, but also aligned with the framework that we set at the beginning. Fair enough. Right. We've got now, we went to five states. We've got more diversity early in the process, starting with South Carolina elevating uh, Nevada to be on the same day as New Hampshire. New Hampshire gets to keep its traditional second in the nation contest, but, you know, it now shares. Yeah, it but not Nevada. the first primary, which is nuclear war fight. With yeah, them. but, but and we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. So it's more it's more diverse. Was South Carolina been first if Biden hadn't sent that letter? I don't know. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. I mean, yeah, look, he sent the letter the night before we were supposed to begin the final deliberations. Well, the mails are slow, Mo. The mails are slow. I hadn't heard a lot of chatter about (laughs) South Carolina being first. Honestly, a lot of the big, a lot of the fight was between Nevada and New Hampshire to go first. Uh, I proposed uh, a couple of meetings a couple of months ago. What if we put them on the same day? Yes, that's what I thought you would do. So I'm uh, thrilled the president clearly read the transcripts and thought my idea was brilliant uh, and put the two on the same day just as... Just as the second contest instead of the first. Yeah. And I'll say 80% of this, as opposed to 50% of the old calendar, 80% of this calendar is in battleground states. So it checks okay. all the boxes yeah. of the framework that we talked about. In terms of diversity, there's no doubt that Iowa, 90% white. Uh, I mean, that was always a huge question about Iowa. I think one of the reasons Iowa was so important to Obama was a 90% white state embraced embraced an american candidate but uh uh, south carolina i think the last primary was 56 percent black so it sort of tilts in the other direction because that's not really representative of the whole country well look at the calendar so you got south carolina on a saturday you may have the exact dates in front of me i don't remember and traditionally they're on a saturday so i think it's feb three so it's that first saturday in february and three days later you've got nevada and new hampshire Mm -hmm. so you get all that diversity. So you have to take them as a group, you're saying, yeah. You take them as a group. You take mm-hmm. them as a group and and it's a, and you're sort of hitting urban, rural, black, white, brown, suburban, like all within that first week. First thing, Murphy, I thought when I saw this was, I know you said you don't, you, you have doubts that Biden will run. This, uh, the first thing that I thought when I saw this was, He's running because he set up a firewall here. There's no insurgency. I never believed that if Biden wanted to run that he'd be beaten in a primary anyway. So with the midterms, the historically great for the Democrats outcome, all the pearl clutching about Biden's a loser, it all evaporated. But the fundamental reason under that are Biden problems that are built in. So I don't think that's gone. 
we're C. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to look at this thing with two maps. One is what's good for Biden. If he can get it, this is a great calendar for Biden. He's very comfortable in Michigan. It moves Georgia up, uh, South Carolina, of course. You know, it, it's wonderful for Biden. But you also got to do, and we don't have to do this now. We can do it a little later if we've explained the actual calendar because we got Georgia and Michigan in there. If they can do it, not done yet, then what does it mean in an open seat? And there's a lot of calculation about that that's fun. But hold on. But but there's th- this is a super important point. We codified opening up this process every single cycle. There's no more automatic waivers. This is not the calendar in 2028 when there's an open seat. Right. That's a very good point. This is a calendar for an incumbent president running for re-election. Yeah. I interpreted that as a power play by the rules and bylaws committee to be be relevant into eternity. Forever. Right. Junkets, meetings in Hawaii. Lexus is arriving on his lawn, all kinds of gifts. Exploring the great golf courses of America and how they could affect a future (laughs) practice. I will say Michigan sent us all a really good snack bag. They really did. You guys are a little bit like the UN, okay? You've you've got this wonderful plan, but then the states actually have to do it. You know, first of all, New Hampshire has a law that says we move up if anybody tries to get in front of us. Now, I know the DNC can say, aha, you're breaking our beautiful plan here. You get no delegates. They're going to say, screw you. We don't need delegates. We're going to move up to January 30th or whatever, Uh you know, week before. And you can't stop them. And the media will go there and there'll still be the first contest. They will move the next week if they have to, to protect the primary. Here's the other innovation that that we threw in this time. We put teeth Mo into our proud, penalties. Man. Yeah, yeah. We I, am, I am feeling really good. the architect here. I am feeling really good. <laughs> we not only, we put teeth into the enforcement. Because in the past, you're exactly right, Murphy. We would say, you lose all your delegates. And New Hampshire would be like, whatever. We only have yeah, We like only six. have three. It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Right. So, and the candidates are all going to still come. What we did this time was not only put penalties on the states, but we put penalties on the candidates. Right. And so if you're a candidate who decides to campaign in a state that jumps the line. And our definition of campaign includes putting your name on the ballot. Right. You lose delegates and we've empowered the chair to do take other measures such as hypothetically disinviting candidates from debates. No, no, I get you. It it, it is clever. It is not going to be the way it always was. Let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. So, David, have you ever browsed online in incognito mode? You know, I, I know you. I thought incognito was a place in California. That's, no, it it's means no. nobody can see your name. So when you go on those Barry Ooh. Goldwater tribute sites and the other <laughs> right-wing stuff you're secretly all for, you can have the handle David Axelrod, Kami One, or whatever you use online, you'd be exposed. <laughs> Incognito uh-huh. mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product. And Google has made a fortune by tracking your activities online, your movements. There's even a yeah. $5 billion class action lawsuit against a company in California where it's been accused of secretly collecting user data. Accused. Google's defense, incognito does not mean invisible. Hmm. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? What do you do? You use ExpressVPN. 
It turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked, as you just said, and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data, which is a big concern. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use IP to uniquely identify you and your location, but with ExpressVPN, Murphy, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, mm. and your IP address is masked. Wait a minute. So this is why when you go online in incognito mode to friskyreagangirls.com, you start getting all those emails because they still know what you're doing. It's not true incognito, but that's what you get with ExpressVPN. Every time you connect to ExpressVPN, and thanks for sharing my personal information, Mike, <laughs> you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV. All you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. I like it. So I'm going to get into this. And if you want to join me and really go incognito and truly protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash hacks on tap. Go to expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to learn more. I'll never forget in 2000, the happiest day of the McCain for president campaign when on an icy day in Manhattan holding a press conference against the state party for all their sanctions on getting on the ballot there was a camera scrum on the ice and people are falling down and cops are tripping and McCain's howling with laughter because the closest thing to a hockey fight he'd been in during the campaign and the bottom line is if I were not the if it's an open seat if one if it's Biden you're going to steamroll through it's all fine but in an open one uh if I'm running the number three or four I go to New Hampshire and win and then run against the party a little bit. I mean, you did the best possible thing you can. But as David just said, hard to enforce. And it may get punted because if Biden runs, everything will be fine. And then it gets opened up again. We'll have the war. But I just New Hampshire is going to fight to the last bat of maple syrup and musket on this. Look, in 2008, Michigan and David, do you remember this uh, very well as well? Michigan and Florida jumped the line. And the early states made all the campaigns sign a pledge that they would not appear, that they would not uh, campaign in any state that jumped the line. And so they didn't. The DNC is codifying that. The DNC is codifying keeping. And so no one did go to Michigan. No one did go to Florida. That was killer for Hillary, right? Those were great states for her. And had she campaigned in them and won them, it might have changed the delegate math earlier in the process. But the campaign didn't go. Because out of fear of the penalty that the political price it would pay in the early states. The same is true now, but it's got some more teeth behind it. If a candidate goes to New Hampshire after uh, jumping ahead of South Carolina and Nevada or whatever states are selected in 2028, the next time there's an open primary and this actually matters, they're going to not only face political penalty from the DNC, but they're also going to face political penalty. There's going to be a political price to pay from African-American groups and Latino groups that are going to denounce those candidates for not taking seriously this commitment to diversity in the calendar. 
Can I ask a hacky question? And we, we got to deal also with the, the fact that Georgia is refusing to go along with this. And right, right. We should talk about Michigan and Georgia. You're the first five, not the first three, too. Yes, yeah. yeah, which is important. Well, this is related to that because I think Biden is planning to run. They're doing everything to prepare for him to run. The, I've said for a million times here and elsewhere that his that the issue with Biden is not political. I think everybody on this Zoom could take the record he has now, the midterm result he got, and get this guy reelected. The issue mm. is that there are things that are out of his hands, you know, that, mm-hmm. that have to do with his age and so on. Right. So let's say this thing does open up, unexpectedly opens up. Who, who does it favor and who does it hurt? Let's do the calendar. So the first right. one, you know, uh, if Carolina. this works is South Carolina on a Saturday. State party chair, and, and that can be done, state party chair. Right, right. Okay, but let's get out of the process for a minute and just do the strategic calendar. So you got a a typical Saturday, this time South Carolina, number one, huge African-American vote. I'm sure Kamala's happy. Then on Tuesday, you have epic New Hampshire, if it's there. And Nevada is a primary, not a caucus, big Latino vote. They are also more diverse. Then you is it one week or two weeks till Michigan comes, followed by Georgia? I can't remember if it's Georgia. Georgia is in the number four slot a week after Nevada and New Hampshire and Michigan is. OK, uh, that, that's clean. Up. I had it switched. All right. Boom. Now, the Michigan Republicans are hinting they're maybe sort of for this. The Georgia Republicans are kind of hitting no way. But but fundamentally, if New Hampshire is not first, at least, you know, I don't know, in an open seat, I think somebody does what I talked about and runs against it. Basically, by moving African-American votes up, that does change. It's bad for a yuppie like Pete, theoretically. It could be good for a candidate of color or a white candidate with a real connection to the African-American vote like Biden had, right? I mean, how would you handicap it, both of you guys, if you were plotting in an yeah. open seat. I'm a member of the Rules and Bylaws Committee putting together a neutral process, so I'm going to, I'll let you guys uh, <laughs> All right. handicap the race. If Mo could speak, this is what he would say. <laughs> uh, the, only the Democratic Party has gag orders, but go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. Ask anybody, ask these Republicans if they'd vote for Trump for president, and I think they've got a gag order, order uh, as well. But... Yeah, and the minute they're done ducking the question, they go into a room and gag. But anyway, go, go ahead. <laughs> Look, I think you're right that in theory, South Carolina being up front gives a boost to an African-American candidate. As I said, there's more of a prize for an African-American candidate who wins in a state that isn't overwhelmingly black. You know, you remember Bill Clinton sort of dismissed uh, the Obama uh, win in 2008 in South Carolina. So, well, Jesse Jackson carried South Carolina uh, too. But there's no doubt that it would be advantageous uh, for an African American candidate, and for candidates who are not, who have not shown a um, an ability to appeal uh, uh, to the African American base, that would be uh, that would be a problem. And you you mentioned Pete; he's he's one of them. So it puts a premium on being able to uh, appeal uh, to the base. But uh, I, I'd say it has another effect too. Uh, which is, um, you know, there is this misapprehension that um, the uh, or mis- misunderstanding about the African-American base, particularly in the South, that somehow that's a very progressive base. No, it's not. It's actually quite a center left, moderate mm-hmm. and yeah, socially Biden-esque. conservative base. And so uh, that, I think, 
and you know this is true uh, in uh, the other states as well. I mean, I think that this array of uh, of uh, states probably ends up propelling a more moderate candidate into the Super Tuesday. If you keep yuppie New Hampshire there as a counterweight in the first three, because otherwise it could be, you know, I, I agree on the African-American vote, but after that, you get into Nevada, heavily unionized culinary workers, you know, more machiney, which... Yeah, but then Georgia and Michigan. Yeah, Michigan becomes very important there. And it's not so bad for Gretchen Whitmer, by the way, to have that in her back pocket down the no road. No doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. You know, remember Biden carried, well, Georgia became sort of irrelevant, but he carried those states overwhelmingly. I just think it's a, yes, Whitmer would be one of the beneficiaries of this. I think the smarter move would have been to go Georgia first, but the Clyburn and other factors make that kind of impossible and the historical grip South Carolina has on the early process. But, you know, if you weigh historical grip, then you kind of owe it to New Hampshire. Georgia is the perfect microcosm state of kind of the emerging deal. Mo, I know you. I know you can't speak to this. I know you're enjoined by your responsibilities on the rules and bylaws committee. But can you blink in some way and signify whether you agree or disagree with what was uh, just said? Um, yeah. No. Look, I think part of I think what the what the committee wanted to say was if you you know we wanted to elevate more voices early in the process to give more voices a voice in the process. But also to send a message to our candidates, like you got to be able to compete with these voters if you want a chance to be a successful Democratic nominee. So I do think it does. I don't know who it benefits, but I think it 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 sends a message like if you have a problem with these voters, now's the time to start thinking about how to address it because yeah. you can't be a successful Democratic Party nominee if you struggle with the voters who are represented in that early window. You know, generally the first takes on these kind of things are wrong, but the initial Republican hack take is pretty much like, holy God, thank God for these Dems, they've saved Kamala if Biden doesn't run. And of course the Republicans are dying to run against her. I think that's probably a little too clever, a little too early. You know, you always game these things out and it goes sideways. But uh, it is the best political news in an open seat she's gotten uh, in two years. Look, and I say it again, I think everyone on that committee assumes Joe Biden is running for president because he has said he intends to run for president. This is a good calendar for an incumbent president. But it in is 2028, that. in 2028, when we know it will be an open process, do not expect, do not automatically assume this is what the calendar looks like. No, it'll be a war. I hope Illinois goes first so I can vote a couple of times. But anyway, I All right. okay. thought I'd You've, set you up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like the Joe DiMaggio of the ghost voting joke. You're, you've got like 56 straight shows in which you slide it in somehow. <laughs> I, I, I get Twitter complaints when I don't do it. It's, it's come to life now. Nothing yeah, I can I, do. I'm trapped. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Murphy, life is is complicated. I think this is even more so after this this uh, pandemic that really sort of rattled everyone. And you kind of wish there was a user man manual to mm. help you. You know what I mean? To something that would just help guide you through. Well, you know, there isn't. Life doesn't come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. 
And that's why BetterHelp Online Therapy is basically the next best thing to that user manual. You know, the therapists there are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour with expert knowledge of the complex engine called you. And BetterHelp is proven. It's connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient. And best of all, it's internet-based, so it's accessible anywhere. It's 100% online. You know, it's really helpful to talk to someone and sort of step back and uh, kind of pick through those things that are challenging you, that are making you sad, that are making you anxious. Uh, someone with perspective and professional experience to help you do that. And stuff happens to everybody. It can come out of nowhere, dealing with trauma, things like that that you don't expect. Therapy can really be beneficial. Now, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp, as I said, has matched 3 million people, professionally licensed and vetted therapists, 100% online, but also it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It really couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com hacks. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. I mean, that's going to be an incredible scrum when you guys have to deal with it. I mean, redoing it every time. Yeah, is it becomes be a primary. The next primary will be the DNC primary to rig the calendar. <laughs> yes. But, but I will say this. I am happy. Uh, it's going to be a pain in the ass. There's no question. But I am happy that we're taking it on because politics changes, right? Georgia and Michigan, no one would have thought that they were, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they weren't on the map. Look how important they have become to the party now. Our party has changed. Our party has evolved. Our electorate has evolved. Our calendar should evolve along with it. And so I hope we do it earlier in the cycle next time. And we set ourselves up to do that or Whoever's in, for all I know, uh, this interview might uh, automatically disqualify me from uh, from getting reappointed in time for the next cycle. Yeah, maybe I can get your seat. Yeah, I'll <laughs> uh, be careful what you. I, wish I'm willing for, David. to serve. <laughs> Not everyone approaches it with as much glee as I do. <laughs> um, I, I hope they started earlier in the process next time. I think it ought to be done before the midterms next time. But um, I, 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 and it'll be messy, but it's the right kind of mess for us to deal with. And uh, and if we do this every time, no one gets uh, uh, an automatic waiver. We're going to make sure we've got the right mix for each uh, for the dynamics of each individual race. You know, the one thing I'd, I'd place a bet on is right now in the uh, well, again, it all depends on Biden or not. So the, all the fun stuff is premised on Biden doesn't run. Uh, the, the the furious Iowa Democrats are knocking back in their freezing state right now some drinks thinking, OK, the R's are still going to have a caucus. Why don't we do a huge straw poll? <laughs> there, something's coming there in an open deal, not, not with sure. the president. If they can organize one. Yeah. Oh, that they could just to heist everybody like the Republicans <laughs> used to do. I got bad. I am proud to say, as somebody who's worked in Iowa a lot, often against you, Axelrod, um, I've been yes. banned for life from the Iowa straw poll. 
because back in 95, to bring it down, all, all the hacks, you'd vote, they'd stamp your hand, you'd run in, you'd wash it off. So we'd be there in the men's room with the Phil Graham guy, the Bob Dole guy, I was Lamar. Wash, and I brought the press along, and I made them watch me vote three times because I knew we weren't going to win, so I wanted to you know, bring the thing down because they used the wrong kind of ink by mistake. It could if wash that's off. What it ta- if that's so. what it takes to get you to wash your hands, Murphy, I'm for it. <laughs> I'm proud to be banned for life, but the point is the Iowans, are, it's the music man. They are too smart not to let the presidential circus go by without monetizing it somehow and i predict we haven't heard the last of them well what we haven't heard yet also is what our listeners have to say but so jeff when you hit the yeah cue the orchestra it's listener mailbag listen if you have a question a real stumper for the hack send it to us at the special mailbag email address and general show comments can go there as well the address is simple. It's hacksontamp at gmail.com, hacksontamp at gmail.com. And if you sent a question in the past and we didn't get to it, you can always send us again. We just can't get to all the zillions of questions we get every episode. All right. So number one for Brother Axelrod, this is from Dave. Is there any, all caps, conceivable way Biden could ditch Kamala Harris on the 2024 ticket? Not with this calendar. This would obviously upset many Democrats, but couldn't picking someone more competent also help Biden with swing voters? When did we adopt this rule that you can stick in your answer to the question before I even get to answer it. <laughs> no, I just, I, 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 I switched a pronoun. And, and by the way, the only one he would switch it for is somebody older than him, which is probably impossible. Listen, I don't, he's already indicated that he's going to keep her, I think. Uh, and she's indicated that she's been told, but then sort of uh, quieted down about that. As a political matter, I don't see any way that he is going to dispatch uh, the vice president. And uh, I, I actually think this is going to be an element of the election because to the degree that people have questions about her, um, those questions are going to be more pronounced in a race where a guy who's 82 years old when he takes office uh, becomes president. And I think the Republicans, if they feel that she is vulnerable, uh, are going to make her a co-candidate in that race and say to people, listen, uh, this is a relay team uh, and uh, you got to look at the whole uh, team. So, you know, it would behoove her and it would behoove uh, the administration if she's if if, as I believe, she will be on the ticket. And if Biden runs uh, to try and strengthen her, give her more media assignments and have her uh, and then it's up to her to deliver on them because people will be looking at her as a prospective president in a way that they haven't looked at other vice presidential candidates. I think that's their biggest political primary. They got to fix her because unless she takes herself out, she's there. Okay. Murphy, Samuel, who obviously doesn't like to be called Sam, would ranked choice voting have helped Evan McMullen win in Utah? I know you were very active in the McMullen campaign. Uh, what do you well, say about that? Well, the super PAC. That would be a felony, David. This isn't Cook County. See, another one. Um, okay. So, yeah, I helped on the super PAC for Evan. I'm proud of the effort he made, and I am for ranked choice voting. The problem is ranked choice voting is really about a multiple field of candidates. And what happened there was Utah is so red, you know, Evan got it close. It was tied race for a while, but then the millions came and it became tribal, and not enough Utah Republicans could 
kind of support a bipartisan candidate. They stayed with the home team, reelected Mike Lee. In ranked choice, it would have been the same. But ranked choice might have had a different candidate mix because you might have had several running. So that second choice dynamic could have been powerful like it was in Alaska, where Republican congressional district actually voted for a Democrat and a a hybrid senator won in a in a three-way race. So not really applicable to a two-way tribal race like Utah. Mo, uh, what do you think about ranked choice voting? Because I like it. I mean, I think that it's had a really interesting impact, as is as it did in Alaska. I was reserving judgment until after this midterm. You're not enjoined as a member of the rules. And- <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start using that. Well, I'm enjoined as a hack on tap. I'm enjoined, <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's um, I think it's interesting, and, and I think Alaska is probably the best example uh, totally. of why. I would like to see it play out in a few more states. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a data guy, right? I'd like to see a little bit more data on it. But what we saw in Alaska really showed the impact that it can have and how it can change the entire dynamic of, of, of a political system. So so I'm increasingly open, but need to see it in a few more places. It would be great in the next Chicago mayor's race. I know, I know it can't be done, but just that would be fun. <laughs> well, we do have a runoff, but it, it may be... Um, it may be you may have a chance to see it, Mo, in Nevada before long because they just passed it by voter initiative. Frankly, over the objections of the Democratic yeah. hierarchy, there. I think they've got to pass it one more time. They right? do, it, yeah, but they, it, they yeah, do. We might see it there. Steve Mo says during the run-up to the November election, Katie Hobbs' decision to debate not to debate Carrie Lake was my interpretation seen as a major mistake by a candidate who was running a poor campaign. And I have to say, we were guilty of that here, uh, you know, just to pick up on the self-flaying that uh, Murphy applied to himself as a failed pundit. Yeah, now it's your turn. Let's hear the crow. I'm eating it, man. I thought Katie Hobbs made a mistake by not uh, debating. Uh, And, you know, what, what it by being sort of invisible in many ways, she put the spotlight on Carrie Lake and Carrie Lake beat herself. But I should finish my question for Mo here. Now I'm doing what you did. And by the way, just to screw it up totally, quick interjection, they were still <laughs> wrong not to debate. You know, the campaign wasn't that great, but not great campaigns can win in the right environment. Thank you, crazy Carrie Lake. All right. Can we get on and give Mo yes, this question? Yes, now? we can. And yet she had a respected campaign manager guiding her. Is there a new interpretation that you put onto this decision now that Katie has successfully won the uh, Arizona governor's office. Yes, uh, Carrie Lake, that is a fact. Or was she just lucky? Uh, Well, I'm going to agree with both of your preemptive answers (laughs) to this question. (laughs) We're just trying to help. (laughs) It wasn't just Katie Hobbs. I mean, this cycle saw the fewest number of statewide debates in Senate and gubernatorial races that we've ever seen. Uh, And in a number of states, you know, I remember working on governor's races or Senate races, there was sort of the the three debate rule of thumb. You would try to, you know, you would agree to do three debates, one in each region of the state, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But, you know, Pennsylvania, a number of other places, they only did one, only one debate. Um, And for all different reasons. Uh, So I think it says two things. I think uh, future generations of hacks are beginning to realize that, that they, uh, uh, can win a race with minimal number of debates. Uh, But I also think it's still, I'm with Murphy. I think it's still the wrong decision for democracy. I think it is still bad for our political discourse and our democracy. I think voters ought to see these candidates 
side by side. The thing is, voters don't necessarily agree. They're not, there's no political price to pay for skipping them. And so as long as there's no political price for skipping them, uh, I think you're going to see more and more candidates skip them. First of all, I'm glad to see you slip back into your director of the Institute of Politics at Georgetown mode here by standing mm -hmm. up for uh, for debates. I mean, you know, I think that I, I agree with you that I think that they should be done. But I think voters have come to believe that debates are two people standing side by side reciting, you know, spoken lines. I'd love to take debates away from the media to some extent, right? Because yeah. they, Hallelujah. They, keep, they keep setting them up in a way that incentivizes like the 92nd. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the yell at each other. And then it's all about their talent too. I agree. You know? and so it yeah. sets it up for, for talking points, which is why totally people agree. have stopped tuning in. That's why they should be at uh, the Georgetown Institutes of Politics. ILP, the, That's the right. University of Southern California Center for the USC, Political Future. Exactly. And if you like to freeze to death, the Chicago IOP. <laughs> Which I'm on the board of, so I can't slam it. It's wonderful. Yes, exactly. Let, let's land this plane. Mo Hoya Saxa, first of all. Hoya My Saxa. heart always tugs for Georgetown, my alma mater. Second, thank you for your service on this DNC thing, for all the kidding we gave you. It's hard work, and I have to say as a hack, you have built a calendar, if you can get away with it, that's very good for an incumbent Democratic president running for re-election, which was, of course, uh, the, the, the high uh, goal there, along with more diversity in the process, which reflects the primary electorate. So, yes. salute. You may be enjoined, but we still enjoyed you, uh, <laughs> and we want you to come back. And uh, I just want to say as we sign off, congratulations to the University of Chicago Maroons men's soccer team, the 2022 NCAA Division Three champions, mm. coached for the first time, for the first time a woman coached a men's team to an NCAA championship. So Impressive. I don't know. We we are not we're so not sports oriented. That I was going to say know what the, the sort of. <laughs> Bula Bula thing is to say, but congratulations. Uh, Being them. the University of Chicago team, they're the only men's soccer team in the NCAA with the quadratic equation on the jerseys. <laughs> See you guys exactly. later. See you. All right. See you. Thanks, guys.